our country vowed to never forget 21 years ago. But those words require action. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has over 80 runs, walks, and climbs across America every year, plus dozens of more golf outings and barbecues you can be part of. There are so many ways that you can take action. Register for an event in your area or volunteer to start one. Do good and never forget by donating $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the High Low Sports Podcast. It is DJ joined, as always, by my co-host, Kelsey. And Kelsey, we got ourselves a very busy show today. Some very interesting moves, a special guest, and a little bit of fun to preview as well, too. But we're going to start things off with probably the least favorite part of the show for you. Yeah, you know, probably the the one that, that hurts the most right now, I think it's safe to say. And that's that NBA trade deadline. Ugh, the Kings do it to me again. They do it to you again. The Kings get kinged, if you will, if we were playing chess as well, too. They get however you whatever you want to do. Deuces wild, jacks heavy. I, I don't know. Whatever game you play, the point is the Kings did not win this one off. Look, they they, they will never be you'll never fool them as the king of the north. Let's just put it that way. Or the king <laughs> of the west or the king of the coast, whatever you want to call them. They're not the king of anything. They're the king of disappointment at this point in time. Every time, every time there's a young backcourt, a young star in that team, and they're just like, hey, you know you you look good. Not with us. Anywhere else as well. You know, that's a perfect way to lead us into our opening segment. That is known as the tip-off, fittingly, since we're talking basketball. Brought to you, of course, by Dr. Squatch. Smell like a man, feel like a champion. Click on the link in our bio. Get all the wonderful soap and deodorant needs you need as well, too, without the harsh chemicals on your skin. And Kelsey, trade deadline, a few moves, not too many blockbusters. Only one real notable blockbuster, but a few underrated moves, if you will. Yeah, I mean, look, right now, a couple of the underrated ones... Uh, you look at Norman Powell going to the Clippers um, in return, Robert Covington to the Blazers, the Knicks land cam reddish for Kevin Knox, one that I'm kind of okay with on both sides, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, the jazz, the, the jazz acquiring the Blazers, Nikhil Alexander Walker and, and Hernan Gomez from the Spurs in that three team deal. Very interesting. Cause there's no superstars moving in that one, but there's a lot of really good key pieces. But then there's the ones like you mentioned where you got a where you got a guy that could be considered a star. You have Karis LeVert going to the Cavs, CJ McCollum ending up in the Pelicans, which is honestly not a place I thought he'd be stopping. And then the one we just mentioned where you got a couple young superstars going for Demonis Sabonis and uh and Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Hill. So there's been some moves, man, and it's just it's just getting started, it feels like. And you know, it's a common thing that you pointed out there a lot too. The Trailblazers, which seem to be blazing the way into the trade deadline, is they seem to be on a full fire sale. Like they talk about in the MLB trade deadline, like who's going to be sellers, who's going to be buyers. They did not hesitate to immediately start selling the farm, the house, the kitchen sink, the back door, the back porch. They sold a little bit of everything, including some things they probably didn't even own. They they sold everything besides Damian Lillard at this point. Man, if it's not drilled down, it's sold at this <laughs> point in time. Let's be honest about it. Like, it's the old, uh, you know, if I didn't have enough screws in my head, I'd, I'd I'd lose it. Well, that's the Blazers right now. If it's not screwed down to the Rose Center, they're they're not going to keep it. Or in this case, if you're Dame Lillard, if you're not being paid to stay there, mm-hmm. they're not going to keep you around. It seems like I'm surprised because they obviously have been a mess this year. Dame Lillard's been hurt as well too. They just haven't been performing up to expectations. They've been on a downward trajectory the last few years. Unfortunately, as they get older, pieces move here and there as well too. They haven't been able to build around that backcourt of CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard. But did you expect to see it kind of end? I don't want to say abruptly, honestly, but it feels like it just it kind of came out of left field. There was barely any rumblings, no real rumblings. Everyone else was saying they should get traded besides those two. And then I know it's like they're talking. CJ's gone. 
Yeah, I mean that was quick. Uh, like you, you very rarely see a team move on that fast, and when you do, it's usually like something you've heard about for a while. I think you know James Harden or Russell Westbrook or uh, John Wall. You know, in those recent trades where they've just you heard about like the the writing was on the wall. Let's just put it that way. This one was like, all right, so maybe Dame gets traded at the trade deadline. Well, we're bad, but you know what? Maybe we can stick it through. And then all of a sudden, boom, CJ McCollum's gone. Like, wait, what? Pause, <laughs> rewind. Like, what? Whoa, guys. Like, let's let's re- re- back this one up because I'm not used to this this whirlwind moves from the Trailblazers. We're talking about a team that does not make a lot of really try to make a lot of big name moves. It feels like they usually tend to say pretty status quo. And I'm sorry, you just traded one of the best backcourt duos and split them apart in the NBA, like what could conceivably be a top five duo in the NBA. They're gone now. They're, they're no longer together. And it's interesting too, because the moves they made, it wasn't like they were swapping him out for another big piece or something like that. It wasn't like trading him for as a bonus or something that might be more like team compatible with the Dame. They just kind of sold everything. And we're like, you know what guys, it seems like they're just going to try and rebuild around Dame real quick, fast in a hurry, which I really don't know. Cause I think they're kind of out of it in the West this year. Like it would take a run of epic proportions when Dame gets back for them to climb themselves back into a comfortable spot. I feel like what about CJ McCollum going to new Orleans for you? When I look at that, I look at, on paper, how good that could be. The problem is there's so many holes in that team. Mostly Zion is where we do, you don't have Zion at this point as well, too. Brandon Ingram is still very good. He's just not quite last year's Brandon Ingram as well, too. And I maybe CJ McCollum could kind of fill in some of that void. But on paper, I think that team could be really good if they could just get healthy and get clicking again. Yeah, I mean, look, that team has, has its own issues. Uh, you mentioned it. Number one, your number one pick that you hinge so much on. It can't stay healthy. Um Although I kind of have this theory that they want him to pl- to slim down to play small forward, but I don't think he's ever going to slim down to that point anymore. Let him, let him be Charles Barkley, honestly. Let him be the new round mound of rebound type of thing. Maybe it's not good for your knees long term, but I mean, he's not. Good. I don't think he's going to be able to play small forward. And if he does adapt, that's like putting Zach Randolph as small forward and asking him to slim down as well, too. I think that's a lot closer of a comparison when you look at their skill sets, their body, obviously that sort of thing. Their differences, obviously. Zion's freakishly more athletic, a lot more versatile, but. You can't ask him to just go shoot threes now out of the corner or play three and D on the wing with LeBron or Kevin Durant. That's just that's a mess waiting to happen. So yeah. we'll see how that all works out as well, too. I want to see him just get back out on the court first and get through these injury woes because right now it's not going so well. But that's going to take it. Somebody needs to teach him to stay on the ground a little bit more. That's, that's, that's what I need from him. Like go back, go to the Zebo play style of, of playing under a phone book. Hang, just, hang out with just, for, just until you get healthy. Hang out with Jokic for a month or something like yeah. that. We just learned that as well. But that's going to take us to the other real major trade as well, too, that happened. And you mentioned it. It was the Kings and the Pacers with really the only blockbuster so far at this point as well, too. Sending Zabonis, Justin Holiday, and I think it was one other player that escapes my brain. Yeah, Jeremy time. Lamb. Jeremy Lamb. Thank you very much. For Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton, the gem of this trade as well, and some other pieces as well, too. So you're the, you're the Kings guy here. You obviously alluded to it in our opening that – not not the best trade. No, and it's by the way, it's Tristan Thompson was the other piece for Sacramento. Sorry, for obvious reasons, that one slips my head. Yeah, that I mean, look, let's be honest. Tristan Thompson hasn't been Tristan Thompson for quite a few years. But let's just start with the Buddy Hill, Tyrese Halliburton thing. Let's go back to last offseason, off, before, before last year's season started, and there was the entire Bogdan Bogdanovich situation. Will he go to – will he sign and trade? Will he go – and then, well, you box the sign and trade with Milwaukee. And you send your guy there. But you did that because you wanted to keep Buddy Hill. Buddy Hill comes out and performs very good last year. De'Aaron Fox takes a big step up. And this young rookie named Tyrese Halliburton comes in to add extra depth to your backcourt. And you're like, all right, cool. So I got a three guy going forward. And then I have a guy that can combo as a two, three and a, and a, and a point guard as in Tyrese Halliburton. And then I have my point guard in De'Aaron Fox. And he can play off ball too. And when he plays off ball too, Buddy Hill slides to the three. That simple. Well, for some reason, they changed their mind completely. And you're thinking, okay, it's going to be Darren Fox getting shipped out, which, as much as I would have hated that, would have been a much better option than what just happened. Out of all things, they go to, they go and trade. And this is coming after the situation in Philadelphia where they walked away from a trade where they asked for Tyrese Halliburton and Darren Fox only for Ben Simmons. And then you go to Indiana – and they're like, all right, we'll give you Demonis Sabonis, Jeremy Lamb, and Dustin Holiday, who, by the way, needs to get stuck first before he can play home games in California, which I didn't know until you mentioned that earlier, and that is actually 100% true. You look at this, and you're like, all right, so you just traded 
Last year's Rookie of the Year nominee. Buddy Hilde, who's been shooting at lights out. And then, okay, uh, Tristan Thompson, I don't care about. Like, yeah, he needs to go. Mm-hmm. But you kept Marvin Bagley, who you've been ready, ready to trade for a year and a half now, and De'Aaron Fox to Matt, and, and to add DeMontis Sabonis in, which is, okay, I love DeMontis Sabonis, but is he going to stay in Sacramento fast this year? Probably not. This alone is the another dumb trade in the history of dumb trades for the Kings. You get a young piece, they show promise, and you ship him out. And then you look at it too. In the draft, you obviously we talked about Tyrese Halliburton, a guy that we both like to lock coming out. He's been fantastic. This next draft too, you pick in the top five. You take Davian Mit- Davian Mitchell, if I, if I'm not mistaken, the kid out of Baylor, who fantastic defensive guard, has some work on his offensive game. Still going to be, I think he's a good player. But you already had a very full backcourt as it was the three guys you mentioned already, and then you add him to it. While you still have the Marvin Bagley situation, which he's just not working. I don't know if it, he needs to change the scenery. He doesn't want to accept the role, or maybe. He's, I don't know what that situation is, but he has not clicked in Sacramento the way that most people thought he would coming out of Duke. So you need something in the front court. You trade a backcourt piece to get a front court piece. That, in theory, makes sense. You don't trade the 20-year-old Rookie of the Year nominee who is climbing, who two weeks ago said, I want to be here, I want to turn this around, yeah. or a guy who's on a basically expiring contract is going to be gone at this point as well, too. Unless Davion, Davion Mitchell is secretly the truth and we just haven't seen enough of it. He, he's been having good se- a good season for the Kings. There's no question about that. He has been playing very well. But as you mentioned, he's he is much yeah. more defensive than he is offense, whereas Tyrese Halliburton is a complete guard. It honestly was eerily similar to if you look at the old Kings backcourt where you had Mike Bibby, who was a complete guard, and, and Doug Christie in the same backcourt. That's mm-hmm. how those two played together in the same backcourt, which I thought that's why they were going to trade De'Aaron Fox and Buddy Hilde. But they trade instead a centerpiece and Buddy Hield. It's just like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I'll never understand the Kings' thought process. And if, by all means, if we can, if if there's somebody from Kings Nation out there that has an inside source with the front office, I want to talk to him. I would love to have him on the podcast and answer for your Mister Mr., like your discretions over the last twenty years. Like I need answers as a long term Kings fan. Because I don't know if you've seen the, the TikTok going around, but there's a there's an army guy that has a king's flag in the back, and he just gets up and he folds it and then burns it because that's how disappointing it has been being a Kings fan for the last decade plus. Like, well, in my life, almost 30 years. Come on to this podcast and answer for your crimes against King's Manity at this point as well, too. Like we talked all those guards you have, you trade one of them for a front court player, understandable. Both two of them, though, the two, and one of them is, should have been the one that was all but off limits as well, too. I feel like Halliburton should have been the off limits one when you factor in age, contract, yeah. and the potential, everything like that. Like, that's the one that's rough. Obviously, Darren Fox is outstanding. Not even a negative slight towards him. It You're factoring in age at this point. It's the only reason Tyrese would go be more untouchable than him. So we'll see. Maybe Darren Fox and does a bonus or a fantastic one two punch, and Davion Mitchell develops a dirty shot from the outside. Well, that, I, I don't know. There's There's some answering to be done. I can only hope, but no, this is look, it, it, it is absolutely just crazy to, to consider. And I don't and, know. And by the way, we're not even done yet. The trade deadline still hasn't fully ended yet, as well, too. There's still <laughs> James Harden might be on the move. Ben Simmons, you never know. He might be on the move as well, too. Those two maybe linked and get swapped for each other. There's still a chance of Russell Westbrook getting traded. You never know, as well, too, because that experiment in LA has not worked out so far. So there's, yeah. a, there's some pieces still available to move right now. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see coming forward. I mean, you mentioned James Harden. The conversation with Philadelphia on that one so far. Some of those trade rumors, it's like literally you're starting five for the other person. Like I'm just like, okay, what are you going to trade for the other guy then? Because they're both uh, that one's getting just astronomical. I, I blame I, I don't I don't even know who I can blame anymore uh, for for this crazy price tag on on players now. It's just it's getting insane. It's ridiculous. And if I'm James Harden, he's showed every indication he wants out as well too. I like the idea of him and Joel Embiid a little bit. But not that much. Not not giving up everything. And it's ironic that Seth Curry might be the hang-up on that one, too. Considering, if I'm not mistaken, too, he is Doc Rivers' son-in-law. So it's like, yeah, no, I, I draw the line at family at this point. That's going to be the one thing that's going to stop this. Yeah, I mean, that, that does seem to be the one that's that's sticking him around. Keeping them stuck. Him or Matisse Thybul, one or the other. Like, I mean, they're both fantastic young players. And I, I don't know. Take your pick as to which one's holding that up. I mean, personally, I think Matisse Thybul more so. But, yeah, you're probably right. A little nepotism in there with uh, 
with Seth, with Seth if there's a man in the court. <laughs> Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And it's just a, a body. Exactly. So that's going to do it for our opening segment, the tip-off, which is going to move us on to Kelsey's second favorite part of the show, the main event. The main event, of course, brought to you by ColorCast, the pinnacle in audio sports broadcasting as well, too. Check us out on there this weekend for the Super Bowl as well. We'll be on the call for that one. And, well, for we keeping up, we got ourselves another fun interview coming this week as well. Yeah, I mean, this was I don't. This is one of my favorite portions. You mentioned maybe my second favorite. I don't know. Lately, it's been my favorite portion <laughs> having having main event. But I gotta say, I think this one might be your favorite interview we've done so far because you have a little bit of a, a little bit of ties with with the man that we interviewed. I am a little bit biased in that regard as too. I got to interview someone I knew pretty well from my time when I lived in Iowa, the legendary sports director from KWWL TV. His name is Rick Coleman. Been in the business for more than thirty plus years as well too. One of the best you'll find out there. He's seen it all. He's seen a lot. And, well, you know what? I'll let him go and tell you a little about it. We talked a lot of sports from his time as a sports broadcaster. We talked about his favorite team in the NFL a little bit and a variety of other things. So we'll go and let you take a listen. So, Rick, thank you so much for taking the time to join us as well today, too. And we're going to go ahead and start that you have more than 30 years in the business as a sports director. Tell us, what has that been like? You've seen a whole lot of sports from a bunch of different angles. What's it been like for you? It's been awesome, DJ. And it was great working with you for the short time we got a chance to to work together uh, over the last couple of years. We miss you at the shop, <laughs> but you know, it's been, it's been great being in the business. It's something I've always dreamed of doing is working in sports and working in sports television. Some of my early idols. I mean, some people might, might get mad at me for saying this. Bryant Gumbel <laughs> was one of my early, early uh, influences and idols. And also, you know, I mean, some of the, some of the, like some of the people Tom Brokaw that worked in news as well, uh, we're news journalists and also our own Ron Steele at KWWL. He's one of the first sports guys I got a chance to meet. I actually asked him to uh, come speak at one of my high school uh, journalism classes when uh, when I was in high school and he was in the business. And he uh, he came and joined us at 730 in the morning, one of the first classes of the day. So and showed a lot of great passion, enthusiasm. I said, I got to do what that guy's doing. And, and you know, as he, as you well know, he moved on to become one of the uh, premier news anchors in the state of Iowa. And I consider him one of the best in the country. Absolutely. It doesn't get any better than that as well, too. And during your time there, you got to meet a lot of athletes, a lot of future at pro bowlers, all pro type of guys, basketball players, NBA players, all that world champion wrestlers, uh, Olympic athletes. Who are a couple of them that stick out? You told me you actually got to meet Bob Sanders, one of the greatest safeties of the recent era that unfortunately was cut a little bit short. Tell me about some of those athletes you got. Yeah, he was. He was He was one of the great football players that I ever got a chance to watch and witness perform on the field because he gave it his all. I mean, at the University of Iowa, he was a standout safety, a hard-hitting guy, a guy that could change the tempo of the game just basically because of the physical impact he would – uh, kind of give to a game like a big hit on a running back or receiver. I can't say those things nowadays. I mean, they're trying to trying to legislate that out of the game. But he was a, and that's probably one of the reasons why his career was cut so short. He only played what sixty games in the NFL, but each one of them was impactful, especially during his uh, not only his MVP season, but the season when in which he uh, came back from injured reserve to help the Colts to the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl title. So, no, he was uh, and, and a humble guy. I remember uh, it, was a, it was after a game in Kansas City, one of his first games as a rookie in uh, 2004, and I walked up to him, and he, you know, obviously remembered me from Iowa, and we, we, we uh, talked, and he gave me his telephone number. Say, call me anytime, man, you know, we'll, we'll you know, hang out. And I thought, that's the kind of guy he is, just real down to earth and just a beautiful human being. 
Absolutely. And you, you got to confirm this from him. I look at him. He's only about 5'8", about 200 pounds. He's a small guy that loved running to everybody. But his arms, those things look like absolute tree trunk legs. Are they as big as in person as they look on TV? He's, he's just one big muscle. <laughs> he just, there's there's not an out. Even today, I saw him uh, last fall at an Iowa football game. And I got a chance to talk with him. Uh, you know, even, even here, here it is right here. I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> we have to do some visuals there he is he's hanging yeah. on my wall one of the autographed pictures up there but no he uh he's very personable and, and yeah he's a he's a specimen even today i mean what he's got to be uh his late 30s early you know close pushing 40 and he's still he's still a specimen he still takes care of his body unfortunately he can't work at the level that it did when he was playing football but you know really uh an outstanding uh, physical specimen still. Absolutely as well, too. And you'd mentioned Iowa football as well. They have one guy coming out of the draft this year, Tyler Linderbaum, the center as well, too, who's projected to go really, really high. When me and my co-host of draft board, we both had him as possible top 10 prospects. What do you think about him? And what is it with these, with these Iowa teams that keep sending out these offensive and defensive linemen that step right in our immediate impact players? And that's the thing. Tyler Linderbaum started on the other side of the football, on the defensive side. And that's the thing. Once you get involved with uh, uh, Kirk Ferentz uh, football program, because that's what he he's an offensive guru, offensive line guru. And that's what he was. Uh, that That's the thing that was the selling point when he first became head coach at the University of Bible back in 1999 was that he was an offensive line guru. And they've shown that. I mean, over the years, there's at least one or two members of the offensive line going pro. Ike Budker, who was a quarterback in high school at Cedar Falls High School, became a tight. He was projected to be a tight end at Iowa. Ended up being an offensive lineman at first a reserve and then a starter. And now he's playing for the Buffalo Bills as a playing a prominent role there. And in speaking of offensive linemen, have you heard about Trevor Penning? From the University of Northern Iowa. Yeah, he's been he's, gonna, he's projected to be the first offensive lineman taken, which is kind of a surprise to, uh, you know, many of us because we thought he was good. But obviously, he's showing well at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. And he's, uh, he's a guy to keep your eye on as well. He's from the state of Iowa, uh, 6'6", 335, 40 pounds, and just a beast. And I guess he's showing that at the Senior Bowl practices. Absolutely. He's an absolute mammoth of a man as well, too. He's the he's kind of like he reminds me a lot of Orlando Brownish as well, too. Like he may, even if he's not as technically sound, he'll just eat you alive with the fact that he's twice the size about anyone he's going to go against. Exactly. Exactly. And that's and that's kind of what he did at the FCS level, which we we figured would happen. But, I, you know, he's proven himself to be just as effective against the guys coming out of the major schools. Absolutely as well, too. And obviously we talked about Iowa tight end. You is what they've been called recently. George Kittle, Dallas Clark, TJ Hawkins and Noah Fant. When you look at all of those guys, who would you say is do you think was the biggest surprise coming out of college as well, too, that made the transition? Which one do you think will be the best when they're all said and done? I you know, I mean, we saw Dallas Clark in the last couple of years. He was becoming a star by his senior year, even though he had transitioned. He started out as a linebacker, reserve linebacker. And uh, Kirk Ferentz saw him catching passes at practice. No, we got to move this guy to the offensive side. So Dallas Clark, we knew about. George Kittle is the guy that surprises me most because he was injured a lot in college. He had fallen on the depth chart several times. By senior year, he, he had started to come around. But, you know, we were saying, wow, you know, he's a good kid. His dad was a. Uh, a former player at, at Cedar Falls High School and then went on to University of Iowa. And uh, and actually, Kittle grew up in Oklahoma, Norman, where, where his dad was a – Bruce Kittle was an uh, assistant coach for Bob Stoops. But Oklahoma didn't try to recruit him because they didn't think he was big enough, strong enough. And that's one thing that when you think about George Kittle, you think about someone that's tough and physical – he, he didn't have that. Even at Iowa, he really didn't have that reputation. So he's one that surprises me most because he's he's a do-everything tight end. He can block. He can obviously catch the ball. He's, he's an all-purpose tight end and the kind of old school in a sense because, you know, even though I'm a, a big Kelsey fan, Travis Kelsey, Kelsey's just a big wide receiver. He can block and he, you know, but but – 
Kittle is a physical inline blocking tight end who also can stretch a defense with his uh, pass receiving abilities. Absolutely as well, too. He's ab- he's terrifying when he has the ball in his hands, too. Nobody wants to tackle that guy as well, too. And, no, and- he, 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 uh, yeah, he, he runs with an anger. You know, he's a, he, even though he's a fun-loving guy and you see him in these interviews, <laughs> he plays angry. And that's, you know, those are the – and that's why San Francisco, I think that the whole team plays angry. And it's probably because of who they have at quarterback. But, they, <laughs> you know, they play with a purpose. And, and he's one of those guys. 100%. And it's not just football as well, too. Iowa basketball has come on really strong the last few years, led by guys like Luca Garza, even Jordan Bohannon going on his sixth, seventh year now. It feels like playing as well, too. What do you think has been <laughs> the somebody was, And some of the people out there probably wishes that he was done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they're definitely scared. He's kind of struggling a little bit. What, what do you think has yeah. been the transformation with Iowa basketball the last few years into becoming a more dominant basketball school? Well, this year, uh, you, have you heard of the Murray brothers, uh, yeah. Keegan and and Chris? This year, they've kind of come uh, to the forefront. You know, they were lightly recruited out of high school. They went to uh, Cedar Rapids Prairie High School, uh, and and the, but they there so they were kind of slow developing. They went to a prep school after they finished high school, and that maturation process that took place while they were at the prep school, the development physically as well as mentally. And, and they've kind of developed even more of a competitive drive. So those are the, the those two guys are the key to this year. And I, I think, I think uh, these guys, Fran is recruiting guys for his system. Uh, unfortunately, they've, they've not done as well on the road, especially in the big 10 as they would like to this year, but they, they, they should be able to make the NCAA tournament this year. So I think a lot of it has lended to, you know, Fran McCaffrey uh, coaching them up. Absolutely. And but before we get out of this, we have one more name drop that you're, you've got a chance to know over the years as well, too, is the legend himself in the world of wrestling, Dan Gable. Tell us a little bit about that as well, because he refers to you on a first name basis, has said, and I quote <laughs> on live TV, I love you, Rick Coleman. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, Dan Gable is a great guy, one of the greatest uh, athletes, yeah, even though people a lot of people don't follow wrestling like we do here in Iowa and Oklahoma and Pennsylvania. He is he is a really a living legend. He uh, he was a self-made wrestler, you know, in terms of in terms of his abilities, because he was I wouldn't call him mediocre, but he was an average athlete at the junior high level. But the guy just became uh, I, 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 almost Spartan like in terms of his attention to detail for for his body, for his mind. And the way he went about it, I mean, he, he, the nutrition, all of that, even way back then, he, he was, he, he lived, think, it was, all, it was all about living, thinking and breathing what he did. And that was wrestling and obviously one of the all time greats. Uh, and I, I got a chance to know him. He, you know, I, and I've watched him grow over the years in terms of his verbal skills, because he struggled a little bit with that early on when, when we would do interviews, but over the years, he, he just he, he became himself. You know, he uh, he stayed within himself. He didn't try to venture off and be some uh, incredibly literate guy. He just stayed humble and within himself. And in terms of the conversations that we had. Absolutely. Just just letting himself go a little bit as well to letting it out as well. That's yeah, You've nice. also failed to mention Kurt Warner. You know, oh, I was, I, we, we were getting there around Christmas time. You know, I followed Kurt uh, basically from his days at the University of Northern Iowa when he was uh, when he before he met Brenda. I watched him sit on the bench at Northern Iowa for four years behind a guy named Jay Johnson. If you want to look that name up, <laughs> he's the offensive coordinator at Michigan State right now. But Jay Johnson was the starting quarterback at UNI. Very efficient guy, a guy that. I would call him a Jim, the Jimmy Garoppolo of UNI. He was a guy that he didn't lose a lot of ball games. He didn't win a ton of them, but he didn't lose games. They had a great defense, great running game, uh, great offense. You know, they had all the elements. Uh, so he didn't lose games like Carson Wentz. He went out, yeah, <laughs> you know, he he uh, and occasionally he would hit a pass. But Kurt Warner sat behind him for all those years. And when Kirk got that opportunity his senior year, they did, they went to the playoffs and Kurt had a great year, was the conference player of the year. 
but didn't do enough in college to obviously get drafted. And we all know the story. If you've gone to the movie or read the book, but you know, I always knew Kurt is a very humble individual. And this is something that you would probably connect to uh, the year that Kurt wasn't drafted. A guy from our area by the name of, of uh, Trev Alberts was drafted by your in, uh, Indianapolis Colts uh, mm-hmm. in the first round. And he's from Cedar Falls, Trev Alberts. He went to a, a school that's no longer there now, NU High. Trev Alberts, uh, he was a, uh, a linebacker, played for the Nebraska Cornhuskers, won the Butkus Award his senior year. And I remember them holding a big draft party for him in Cedar Falls at what was then the Holiday Inn on University Avenue. I went and covered that event. It was a major event. He was drafted number five overall, and it was beautiful. I interviewed Trev. It was an outstanding event. And then the very next day, when they announced the undrafted free agents that were flocking to different programs, Green Bay picked up Kurt Warner. And I told my then sports director, I was a weekend guy at the time, I said, we got to go interview Kurt. So we went to this little small apartment, which was not very far from that Holiday Inn where Trev Alberts had, was, was drafted. I went to the small apartment to interview Kurt. He comes walking out in a, with a wife beater T-shirt. There were little kids in the background, two of them, and there was Brenda. And uh, he comes out and he said, I probably should put on a shirt for this interview. <laughs> and, we, and we interviewed him about going to Green Bay and being an undrafted free agent prospect for the Packers. So, I mean, talk about stories and how they end. You know, Kurt, War- Kurt Warner went on to be one of the greatest of all time, a Hall of Famer. And Trev Alberts was out of football in two years after being <laughs> drafted number one. You know, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And you mentioned Kurt Warner, too. He, he was actually there with Peyton Manning and Dallas Clark here just a couple of weeks ago, too, hanging out. It looks like they're doing at Peyton's places there at the local high V that Kurt Warner was working at as well, too. Yes, yes. The night before, uh, you know, Peyton is really good friends with Dallas Clark, and they, they hooked up on Main Street and Cedar Falls and had dinner at Montage, a local restaurant. And then the next day, uh, Kurt Warner is in town for the, the – uh, the 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 Peyton's Place episode at High V, and I kind of figured that out because I figured they people were thinking they were doing a commercial at High V. I said they would have blocked off a store and <laughs> shut it down for the day to do an interview or do something special like that. What they ended up doing, I I figured would be a Peyton's Place because he had done a Peyton's Place with another uh, athlete uh, the day before in Minneapolis, so. Yeah, it was nice, and the fans flocked. I didn't. I didn't make it there. I live in Cedar Rapids now, which is about an hour from Cedar Falls, and I didn't make it up there in time for that. But yeah, I, I guess it went over well. You know, you got to talk to you got to talk to Kurt Warner when he was still wearing the white beater shirt as well. Too, like you already got the NFL, so it's all, it's all good there. So. And we've been talking a little NFL now, so it's I think it's about time we jump to the NFL as well. Too, you are one of the OG Chiefs fans, well before it was cool, decades before they started getting the bandwagon as well. Too, you've seen a whole lot of them there as well. Too, what are your thoughts on how this season ended? It looked like it was another trip to the Super Bowl, well lined up, and then the wheels just kind of came off. It did. It did. I, I don't know what happened in the second half of that game. I It's been too painful to rewatch to even <laughs> analyze what went wrong. I mean, I can only surmise that I think they got a little too high. It was too easy in the first half. You know, sometimes when things are too easy and then it becomes more difficult, you become a little panicked. Even if you're at home working on your computer and you're, you're uh, working on a deadline and things are flowing with that computer and then all of a sudden, things go kind of haywire and I think that's what happened Cincinnati's defense changed some things in the second half and and kind of uh I don't know want to say confused but made things look a little different for for Patrick Mahomes and he still tried to be the same carefree I'm still going to fling it to wherever I want to fling it or I'm still going to look downfield for the big plays and they weren't there and instead of uh Maybe the coaching staff kind of taking over. They should have taken over at the end of the first half when uh, when he was at his own goal line and trying to, uh, with five seconds left, trying to score a touchdown to Tyreek. They should have kicked the field goal or done something reasonable 
I, I just think the coaching staff should have taken over for him. And unfortunately they didn't. And Cincinnati, I mean, give it to them. I mean, they, they deserve to be there. And it, it's kind of painful because they beat us twice. And now the narrative is going to be that Joe Burrow is somehow in the same class as, as Patrick Mahomes. And we all, I mean, any football fan who's been watching the game knows that's not quite the case. Burrow is an incredible young man, incredible young player. And they've, They've done some remarkable things this year, but I don't think that's the case yet. It'll be interesting next year. No one loves Joe Burrow quite like I do. I've been talking about him since we started the podcast as well. Too many is at LSU. I was the first one to jump on that bandwagon before it's cool. But I'm not, I'm not getting a twist either. Like, hey, you were right. You remember I, I came to work. I, I own a Joe Burrow's jersey. I mean, I, I own a oh. Joe Burrow jersey. So I, I, I like him too for some reason. And and I found out why I like him. I send you the the little picture of him. He was a Chiefs fan before <laughs> before Patrick Mahomes was. Exactly. He's no, rocking that old Chiefs helmet too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so I, you know, I mean, he is. He is. He's going to be an outstanding player. He's got. I think, to be honest with you, I think his trio of receivers are better than what the Chiefs have right now. I mean, if you look at, I mean, Chase is as good as anybody in the league. Maybe you know, I. I put him in that category, the things that he can do, especially once he gets the ball. And then the combination of Higgins and, and you know, uh, their possession guy. I mean, they, and they're tight in. They, they've got – the only thing they don't have is an offensive line. That offensive line uh, leaves something to be desired. But Joe Burrow showed me his toughness when he got knocked down nine times, sacked nine times mm-hmm. against the Titans, and he yeah. was still able to survive, so – I'll tell you a little story about the Chiefs. Talk about things coming full circle. 50 years. I, I'd say 52 years I've I've been in love with the Kansas City Chiefs. I became in love with I, – I, the love affair started after they won the Super Bowl that same year. I was only eight, uh, 1970. Yeah, I was only eight after they won the Super Bowl. You know, all I hear is Kansas City Chiefs. So I love the Chiefs. The next year, they did make the Super Bowl in uh, 1971. 70, 71, they didn't make the Super Bowl. The next year, they made the playoffs. My parents, I, I mean, I researched the Chiefs like crazy, just like I'm doing now, 1971. Researched them, followed them that year. They had a great year. They went 10-3-1, and made the playoffs as the number one seed in the AFC. They were the number one seed, the Kansas City Chiefs were, in the AFC. Hosted a playoff game at Arrowhead State. No, it wasn't Arrowhead. It was before Arrowhead was built. Arrowhead was built the next year. So that it was the old Memorial Stadium, the last game played there. They uh, led, a, led the Miami Dolphins uh, the whole game. Uh, Ed Polak, a kid from Iowa, played at Iowa, uh, had an incredible game. Uh, more than 300 all-purpose yards in that game, including uh, he ran back a kickoff at the very end of the game, but the game tied at 24. He ran a kickoff back to the 31-yard line and set up an easy chip-shot field goal for a Hall of Fame kicker, Jan Stenerud. Stenerud missed that kick, which would have won the game and sent them to the AFC Championship game. Well, guess what's, what the score was? that they lost to uh, the the Miami Dolphins in overtime, 27-24. I cried like a baby all night. (laughs) I won't tell you what I did after the Cincinnati game, (laughs) which ended up being the identical score. Did I cry, honey? Inside, you did. Inside, she says I did, not outwardly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the emotions are real. They just couldn't let anyone see them, but we just couldn't exactly. let it see them. That, that's an incredible story. And that's a, like you mentioned, a full circle all the way back as well, too. And it kind of brought me to the next, bring to the next one, Super Bowl, the Bengals taking on the Rams as well, too. The Bengals, the upstart team that came out of nowhere in the Rams, the, if you buy it, they will come almost sort of thing as well, too. They did it. The yeah, exact exactly. How, exactly. How do you see exactly. that game playing out? I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, at first glance, just like the Chiefs, I thought we were going to roll the, the Bengals. I said this second time around, this time is that arrowhead as a revenge game. You know, I thought there's no way we could lose this game, but there's something about that Bengals team that the resolve and toughness of that team, it kind of shows with Joe Burrow. I mean, the guy gets knocked down. He gets sacked. I, I, I don't know how many times he got knocked down. He got <laughs> sacked nine times. 
but they say uh, success is defined by that the, every time you get up and and every time he gets knocked to the canvas he gets up so i mean i i would not put money against the uh the bengals even though because every that whole environment is going to be new to a lot of people Matthew Stafford hadn't played in a playoff game. He's as, well, he played in a playoff game. He had never won a playoff game. So he's as new to the experience as anybody. So how's he going to react in that, in that setting? So the only thing is the Rams are at home. I mean, they've got, like you say, the best team money can buy. Uh, but still, I would not bet against the Bengals. And they've been in a championship. You know, Chase and Burl and those guys, some of those guys have been in, in those the high pressure situation before at the collegiate level and there's to be honest with you there's not much difference anymore between between the two in terms of the pressure and everything only the the guys in college don't get paid as much (laughs) at least that we know of as well too but yeah (laughs) Yeah, exactly like they i saw a thing too since that 2019 season and must win like playoff slash get into the playoff type games joe burrow is undefeated and has like 40 touchdowns only like a couple of picks he's been absolutely incredible going back including 2019 and those must win games like it's that when it when the chips are on the line he's as good as it gets it feels like and if the Rams let them hang around, he'll find a way to win that game. So if the Rams have a chance, they got to get up 35 to three and just run away and hope to keep them at bay. That is the key. You're right. I mean, I was sweating bullets when we didn't score at the end of the first half. I said, this is going to come back to bite him. I was really, uh, I become, I guess my depression started to hit then because I knew that, you know, you leave the door open to crack. These guys are like the tiptoe burglar. They're going to come in and snatch it. And they did. Exactly as well, too. And we're going to talk. We guess we got to talk about the guy that is known as the GOAT as well. Tom Brady recently announcing his retirement. He's had a career almost. Honestly, it's clo- it's closing on the same length as your career at this point. It feels like as well, too. He's within he's within earshot of it. What what are your thoughts on seeing him retire? Have you ever seen an athlete quite like Tom Brady as far as the longevity goes? Exactly. And the way he was playing at the very end, I've never seen anything like that. Even Elway was kind of on his last legs when he was with the with the Broncos. And they had a 2,000-yard a rusher in Terrell Davis. So that he had that kind of support. But really, Brady did not have that kind. He had the numbers that he put up um, in the passing realm. Some of the best, obviously the best of his career, but some of the best ever. I mean, the numbers he put up from the passing perspective. So, I mean, he was still slinging the rock. I mean, he was still making plays. And and he was within a just a a whisker. Just think how close they came to making the Super Bowl. That's incredible. It's crazy. I mean, it was a couple, he could have gone out a winner. He, it was a, a Cooper Cup, an FCS guy getting randomly loose twice against the at the back end of the game with less than thirty seconds to go away from possibly going. Like it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> I know, I know. You love Cooper Cup, and he is incredible. He really is. I. I didn't know if it would translate to the NFL, what he was doing at the FCS level, but it has. And then some, I mean, the guy, you can't cover him. You can't, he finds openings. I mean, he's almost like a, I don't know, a coach where he can find openings in a defense while he's on the move, while he's doing it out there on the field. He's that chess piece that can, that can maneuver in any situation, which is, which is remarkable. It's crazy. It's like he sees the field like he's playing Madden or something like that. It's like, oh, I see the opening here from a bird's eye view. I'm just going to run right there. His ability to see the field is absolutely incredible. And now we we got to talk about something that you know very well, too. I want to talk about some of your apparel collection. I mean, whether it's jerseys, helmets, you got probably one of the best collections I've ever seen. You got to tell us a little about this. How many jerseys do you think you're looking at right now? Well, I, uh, my wife kind of, kind of curtailed some of that activity. (laughs) I, and I, I, She did. She tried. I, I, I did. I mean, first of all, I went to I collect Chiefs. Yeah, <laughs> she strongly suggested. I went to collect Chiefs apparel at first because I didn't have my 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 son kind of introduced me to this website where I could get a lot of things for less money. And so that's what I did. I went that route. So now by this time, I've gotten some of the some of the really some of the Hall of Famers and people that that I really I really appreciate, you know, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I can't even tell. I have to go in my closet to look and see. And then I, then I, I, you know, I branched off into the Negro league a little bit because, you know, I went to Kansas city and 
went to the museum a few times and and I'm always fascinated by those guys that got a chance to that that played for really basically the love of the game because they weren't getting paid a lot of money. Neither were any of the a lot of the major leaguers either at that time. But you know, they and so I did that. I went that route. And uh, and and things I have on display here in my uh, man cave, you know, there's the Chiefs. I don't know if you can see it. Oh, you can you can definitely see. It. There's a whole lot of Chiefs in there. Yeah, that's the <laughs> Chiefs wall. <laughs> <laughs> I see that Tyreek Hill sign jersey. Oh yeah, Tyreek. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's Tyreek. <laughs> and I've got I've got a Jan Stenerud football. I've got a Travis Kelsey down there. <laughs> I've got a. Uh, I think I got a Tyreek too right here. I've got uh, the big man out of Nebraska, former offensive lineman. Nice little helmet here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I yeah. So I, I don't know. I've got so much stuff, man. I mm-hmm. and then obviously I've got I've got pictures and signed pictures and pictures of uh, uh, you know, I, obviously Patrick and then Joe Montana. Who played for the Chiefs for a couple of seasons? Took us to a AFC Championship game. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why. I, I just, I, it was just something, something. I don't know. I, I don't know why I had such a desire to, to get up. Man, I'm, I'm a, such a fan of the game. I'm mm-hmm. such a fan of the game of football, and I think that's what it comes down to. Some of the early stuff I got, these guys were my heroes, like Tony Dorsett. And I got a chance to meet Tony Dorsett and work with him. I actually had him on, on our station. Oh, wow. You remember Tony? Yeah, I had him on our station probably about, about 20 years ago. He was he did a sports cast on KWWL. That's incredible. The 99-yard <laughs> touchdown run, the OG full field run, he got to be on KW. That's that really cool. I never knew that. that story. 99 and a half. 99 and a half, excuse me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Hey, I totally understand you with the collection. I'm starting to collect uh, those souvenir cups they give out of games at this point as well. So I'm working my way up there. I got a ways to go still. It's a, recent, it's a recent start. But I also want to talk to you real quick as we got a few minutes too. Looking at Brian Flores and what he's he's suing the NFL as well to that whole situation playing out, talking about the lack of diversity and the inequality that's going on in the NFL. What are your thoughts when you look at that? Someone who's seen the game for 40, 50 plus years now. Well, I can understand his pain. I mean, if I were to, uh, especially in the situation this past week, and I think that in, that that was the thing that really got to him. I mean, the giant situation, he gets a text from Belichick uh, who inadvertently texted him uh, and was looking to actually text Brian Dable. I mean, that that would be hurtful. I, I've, I haven't gone to the interview, but I'm getting word that they've already hired the guy. So why should I even go to the interview? But I, I, I probably have to because, you know, it will look bad. So, you know, in that sense, I, I can understand his pain and why he was, you know, some of the other things may, be, may have been a little far reaching. I mean, the Denver Broncos, John Elway thing, saying they, would, they come to the interview disheveled. But the thing is that bothers me is that of all the African-American coaches, probably that would be a candidate for a job right now. I think Brian Flores would be the most qualified. He proved in Miami, he's a leader of men. They didn't have anything in Miami. How was he even close to uh, some of the things that he was able to do there? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's remarkable. So it's unfortunate that it, 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 what he's doing with this lawsuit is going to ruin his chance of ever coaching in the NFL again. He might as well. He knows that. But he wants to get it out there that the process is not fair. And I, I'm, I'm for fairness in the process. I know it, life is not fair. You know, you, you get, you know, what you get at this time at point in time and you push for the future. And I think that's what he's trying to do here. And it's unfortunate that he's the one that has to take the bullets on this. It really because is. He's a, he's a, he, I, I think if he got a chance, if he, just imagine if Brian Flores was with a franchise that had a quarterback. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't think – exactly, exactly. He, You know, he got rid of their best player when he got there because it was a – and he still was able to win. You know, so – and one of the things he might get changed, I mean, obviously if, it, if, it, if it's correct, if they find out there's evidence that the owner of uh, the Dolphins offered him money, if they can find – 
tangible evidence that he offered him money that could change the game. That owner obviously is gone because it hurts the whole, what, what the whole league stands for the integrity and also what they're trying to do in bringing in the gambling element to the game or, or legitimizing the gambling element, you know, Exactly. That's a that's a big damning thing. And you mentioned this out of all the black coaches to get fired. I couldn't. That was the one that shocked us is like, what is going on here? So well, he has a winning record he, in back to back seasons. I think he won nine games this last year and then nine the year before something yeah. like that and was well yeah, on a trajectory. year before because they won 10 the year ten before year. because both times they barely missed the playoffs. And that's the thing. I was shocked when he got fired, mm-hmm. you know. And it, it really shocked me. So I, I don't know. I mean, that's, you know, even I'll, I'll go back to a guy, Jim Caldwell, who's from the University of Iowa. He coached at the University of Iowa. You know him well because he was also the Colts. I understand why the Colts fired him, even, you know, after Peyton Manning got hurt and they went two and 14 and they were looking to make a change. I, and then he goes to Detroit and he has, I think, four, three out of the four seasons he was there. Uh, they have winning records and they make the playoffs two years and they he gets 10 fired games in his last years. Yeah. He got exactly. fired off with 10 game wins. I know. So that's, and so, I mean, and, and the only reason why as an African-American, you even pay attention to that because African-Americans only get a few chances. And so I'm not, I'm not one to jump up and yell racial discrimination or those kinds of things. It's just, it's, it's like, okay, well, okay, you fired Jim Caldwell. Well, but then you say, well, we might not get another. <laughs> we have one African American coach. Exactly. You got look, the entire coach in the UF, the one black coach, Mike Tomlin. You got, and then you got Robert Sala, who is an Arabian, I believe, Arabian American, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. So like that yeah. is not enough. That is and not then enough. Washington, with and, then, Ron and then the Washington Commanders, uh, <laughs> you have a. Uh, uh, what is he about uh, Ron Rivera? Yeah, was like, yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. and like that's that diversity exactly. that's not going to do that is not nearly representative of the game or those who watch it as well, too. Like, and the fact that your guy, too, Eric Bienemy, has gone four years and he's gotten like three interviews. It feels like it feels like he, I think he just got one for the Saints job recently coming up as well, too. Yeah. Like, that's the fact that he hasn't been hired Tony, is nothing, it's sort of a trap. Tony Dungy made a I was listening to a podcast he was involved with this morning, he made a great point. He said, These guys that uh, have teams in the playoffs or have, uh, you know, coaching in the playoffs, extended stay. I mean, they've got a, that's a full-time job to coach football, be an assistant coach. How can you prepare for an interview? How can you find out what the team that's going to be interviewing you, what they're doing, uh, checking their draft record, checking their personnel, doing things to, to, to inform yourself for that interview? You're basically flying blind when you go. I mean, you don't. You, your mind is basically if if you're doing your job correctly, you're not seeking a job. You're doing the job that you're involved in, especially a, a one that's a team that's that's moving toward a you know a championship game or playing in important games at the end of the year. And so he says it's unfair. They should interview those candidates after the season, after the Super Bowl. They show that's when teams should be allowed, just like free agency be allowed to hire coaches, not during the, you know, while exactly. the season is still going on for everyone. Exactly. I feel like the turnaround from the end of the season to the start of the off season is entirely too short considering most of the off season is sitting around, honestly, as well too, between like the combine and draft day, there's a few pros like you can push back the start of the new year, quote unquote, off season until the end of March. Like you could push things exactly. back just a little bit. There's a lot of exactly. dead time. And that, and yes, exactly. And that's when teams should be allowed to, and everybody gets a chance, you know, not just the team that, that uh, fires their coach first, exactly. but everyone, yeah, should get and, a chance. Exactly. And then you see guys like Josh McDaniels, who not only had a head coaching job and was fired for being terrible, then he had one and didn't even show up to the introductory press conference. And now he gets a third crack at it over an interim coach. That's Mitch right. Pisaki, who That's right. Drug- that was the Colts. You don't. Exactly. And Rich Pisaki drug the biggest dysfunctional team in the league to the playoffs somehow. And he ends up now he's still searching for a job. Like it's it's an absolute mess. I don't know how what they do, but that something's definitely got to change as well. I agree with you. On yeah. That. Yeah. But Rich, Rich Pisaki, he deserves something. Right. I mean, no, he really did. He he proved something to me. I the first time uh, the Chiefs played the Raiders, I thought they were in disarray. Mm-hmm. But that was and then he dealt with so much, too. Not only the, you know, the firing of. Uh, of uh yeah man what's wrong with me a uh, gruden yeah 
Gruden, yeah, not only the firing of Gruden, but also some of the off the field incidents that occurred there. I mean, the young uh, receiver that, that, you know, killed someone in a car accident, you know, I mean, and other, and, and, and the, uh, and the corner that, uh, that, uh, was showing stuff online and the chiefs yeah. actually picked him up and then he got him. in trouble again and got dropped immediately. Like right. he couldn't even, he couldn't even stay on the cheese for a week. Like yeah, it's absolutely, it's crazy as well too. And honestly, the last thing I kind of want to talk to you about as well too, is looking ahead to looking ahead to the off season, looking for your cheese picking at number 30, which is actually a lot closer to the top than they're used to. They're used to being 31 to 32. <laughs> what do you want to see them do come draft time? What would you like to see the chiefs look into? You know, I we need a third wide receiver. We really do. And I mean, I know uh, the, the young guys. I mean, I love McCole Hartman. I mean, he does so many things. So he's like a Swiss Army knife, but he's not a third receiver. And Pringle, they tried to make him into a third receiver this year. Uh, and, and we need help on the defensive side of the ball. We can't do these bargain basement cornerbacks, uh, you know, or – or or someone who was picked up in the first round by another team and discarded. You know, I mean, we need a true uh, number one corner. We really do. I mean, and and you know, I mean, obviously, there's if if we do get rid of Frank Clark, we can substitute his mm-hmm. for for a, a hot young DN that's you know on the come up. You know, so I you know I. Yeah, there's a lot of things we, we need to patch up. But for the most part, I think our foundation is strong. I, I like what we did this year with the offensive line. I love all those guys. They uh, brought in. Oh, he is yeah. amazing. He's crazy. I don't think anyone saw quite that coming as well, too. He was an absolute no. surprise. I wonder, yeah, I, I, I just wondered how he got away for so long. I mean, second round. Yeah, I know usually, you know, but he's a first-rounder. He really is. He's a first-round talent. And uh, and the way he meshed with some of the other guys and and our guy we got from Tennessee, uh, they, I mean, you know, he uh, uh, he showed up, too, because he, he didn't he wasn't drafted high because he had some kind of uh, issue with his heart early mm-hmm. in his yeah. career at Tennessee. But, you know, he's he, he's the real deal. I mean, you know, we got some guys. I like our offensive line. Absolutely. Definitely. The future is definitely not dim for them. You can definitely say there's still a lot going on for it as well, too. But before we go and get you out, there's anything last things you want to toss out there real quick. Uh, what about the Colts, man? I, you know, I, I was disappointed the way the season ended for the Colts because I was thinking of all the teams in the AFC. Seriously, mm-hmm. I thought they would be the ones to give us trouble because of the way you guys play football. You run the ball. It's a you got a great defense. And then what happened? I mean, I, I, it's, I don't honestly know. And I, you don't want to put it on one person, but when your starting quarterback who you trade for, can't, you can't muster up first downs and you win your, your two most important games of the season. You won with him throwing, completing five passes along those lines as well, too. And then completing 10 against Buffalo. That's something to keep an eye on first. I actually saw betting odds. He's actually plus 400 odds to be the Buccaneer starting quarterback next year as when. So there's oh, already, seriously? I think there might be a rumor mill. He might be gone. I don't know what the rumors. I, they have a lot of strong pieces. We'll have to see if they stick with him. You got to give him more weapons and find a way to. We'll we'll see. I'm really curious. I'm curious what they have in mind as well, too. But I wouldn't be surprised. What's if we Plan think... B if you move away from Wentz? That's where it gets confusing as well, too. That's where it gets real. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is that an upgrade? I mean, I like Sam Ellinger maybe, but I don't know if he's yeah. any. I don't know about that. That's a. There's a lot of unknowns there. So there's a lot of questions as well, too. It's Jonathan Taylor. You want to play quarterback at this point? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's definitely something it's definitely curious to see moving forward as well to it hey i appreciate you spending some time it's great to get to talk to you learn a little bit about some of the wonderful things you got to see over your career as well too so thank you so much for joining us well hey thank you buddy thanks dj it's absolutely crazy when you see someone who's been through so much in the sports world directly he's seen it from not just a bird's eye view like most of us he has seen it from on the ground floor as well too it's been absolutely incredible as well too just hearing some of the stories like the kurt warner thing as well too we all know kurt warner everyone loves kurt warner you got to interview him in a wife beater with the kids running around his stuff too just the little the little things like that they're just absolutely incredible everything that he's seen it's really awesome yeah i mean look 30 plus years of doing this i mean you you can see some stuff and doing it where he did it in iowa i mean that's fantastic and, and my favorite part the part i couldn't get over and i basically was fangirling about it the whole time he said he's a fan of me <laughs> and that, so that was that you know what? 
I'm okay with that. My ego can live forever. Rick Coleman said he's a fan of me. So thank you, Rick. I You're going to cut that one little clip with no contacts and just have it playing on loop around you as well. Oh, 100%. That is going to be what I put on my phone now from now on. I'm going to introduce myself like Rick Coleman said this about me. <laughs> that, that's that's going to be your, that's going to be like your Twitter profile from now on too. Yeah. But you mentioned as well too, he used to invite, like he used to study others as well too. He looked at his idols and he tried to mimic them. He did everything he could to get to where he is and very well deserved and one of the OGs in the game as well. So you don't see guys usually stick around for 30 plus years these days as well too. And still going strong on top of that. No, not at all. I mean, look, it is, uh, it's incredible to see for sure. But we do have to close this one out a little bit. And before we close it out, we do want to get a little bit of crunch time in there for at least the next 30 seconds. So, DJ, crunch time presented by Swift Lifestyles. You guys know the Swift Lifestyles plug by now. Go check it out. All the good stuff without the jitters. It's linked in our bio. Hilo Sports for the code, and it'll get you 15% off. Absolutely. But, DJ, what do you got crunch time-wise? We're going to keep it quick and simple. This Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, you can get it kicked off with us. Not just on here, but on Belly Up TV. And live stream as well, too. Not just us, but we got a host of other podcasts as well, too. Our friends at Gridiron Gallery, the MD's Fantasy Football Show, TSS Fantasy. We got a few others that you can fill me in on as well, Kelsey. The list is so long, I forget them sometimes as well, too. We got it's a full three plus hour show, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So we're starting at 12 noon on Sunday. You got Scoreboard Addicts, you got same, the same podcast uh, with Andy Sire. You have, like you mentioned, MD, TSS Fantasy. It's actually Dan, myself, and Cooper, Commissioner Cooper, will be hosting the show. So you guys get a whole lot of craziness. DJ, you're going to be doing a couple highlights on the show as well. A couple of great story pieces as well on there. There's going to be a talk. We're going to have a conversation about food for a football. Like what is the best Super Bowl food and drink? So there's a whole lot to get, get used to guys, but that'll do it for us today. As always, we appreciate you guys checking us out. And until next time, we'll see you later.